Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week we are talking Vampires in a Plane, a transgressive comedy with tinges of horror, the most absurd movie we've seen in a minute, and a depressingly freaky bit of aquatic found footage. Yeah. Uh, so, but before we, I guess we do get to that, um, we're going to take a brief hiatus, listeners. Yeah, so we had 100 episodes this week, we sure which is did. so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's wild. 100 episodes, like, I know Terry tweeted this, but, like, I never thought that we'd get to this point and get to talk to as many cool people as we have. And, like, we have commentary on paranormal activity. Like, what the Girl. fuck? <laughs> I know. So, and we've also been going through a couple life changes on both of our ends. And I think we just are going to take a couple weeks to recharge and come back for our two-year anniversary, yeah. which is also crazy. <laughs> I, it's just, it's so bonkers. It's so bonkers. And so one of the things that we are going to do is we're, I think we're going to attempt to try to do this uh, live recording. You'll hear more about this probably next week, but we're going to try to test something with this newfound footage, footage, newfound, oh my God, did I just say that? <laughs> Is your brain uh, and all you think about is found footage that was incredible that was completely and we recorded it we recorded it now i have that the little no. nugget <laughs> <laughs> this new <laughs> okay so this new production <laughs> thing that we have has the ability for call-ins so we're i think we're going to try to figure this out and try to do like a recording um with people so hopefully you'll hear more stay tuned to our twitter account next week 
um, where we'll probably be able to tell you when we're going to do this and hopefully people can jump in and, and participate or listen or do whatever you feel comfortable doing. Misu might make an appearance. <gasps> I hope. Attacking the door. You know, you never know. I, guess, guest appearances <laughs> include my cat and maybe Steve. Hell yeah. Who knows? <laughs> it could be you. You could also. But that also means little cats will be on hiatus yeah. as well. We just, so it's been just a, like just two weeks. It's been a stressful <laughs> kind of a uh, couple months and um, we don't have like the uh, kind of backlog that we typically do. And so we just, we want to, you know, take a time and make sure that we're coming back strong for yeah. our two years, which is just wild. Yeah, I know. Wild. So we appreciate all of you guys' patience mm-hmm. and understanding. We really do. We're tired a little. We're a little tired. Just a bit. I loved this podcast. is great. I love doing this podcast. But sometimes life is like, mm, but but like, what if you have other things that make <laughs> your mind feel like it's on fire? Like, oh, what if we just drop all this maybe. change all at once and issues and it's like literally August twenty twenty one can suck my ass mm. like <laughs> suck my whole ass like, absolutely suck my whole ass like. <laughs> Fuck off. We're done. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Movies that we watched this week. Movies. Yes. Well, I, I guess I'll probably start with this transgressive bit of yes, comedy. Yes, please tell me about this trans- horror. Yes. I, so this movie is a, <laughs> this movie is like a comedy. I, I'm pretty sure it's like a comedy drama slash weird romance, but sort of like... And I'll tell you the, the title in a minute. I'm not forgetting this time. Uh, but sort of like how Shiva Baby earlier this year was like a comedy, but it had oh, like a... Oh, is the letterbox list that you were talking about? Yes. On Twitter? <laughs> yes. Okay. But like Shiva Baby had like a horror score to it. This movie that I, I don't think it's a horror movie, but there are like aspects of it that I feel are pulling from 70s and from horror and from just like weird, weird things. I think it'd be a good companion piece to Knife Plus Heart, but it is, I'm talking about Bruce LaBruce's Saint Nar- Narcisse, 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 I think it's French. So I'm thinking okay. it's Narcisse, um, which is this. Oh, wow. That, co- that cover poster is just a fucking crotch and a dick. That is how the movie opens with this long uh, trolling shot of this man in these leather uh, black leather, black pants and this leather belt and like leather uh, jean jacket as he is sitting in a laundromat waiting for his laundry to be done and all of a sudden he and the woman sitting next to him decide to start fucking in front of everyone. And it's like a dream in his mind but like when he's watching in the crowd he sees himself in the crowd watching in. And so there's like this tinge of horror here where he's like, is this, who is this person he's seeing? He discovers quickly that his mother, who he thought is dead, has been living in a remote cabin in the woods as like a potentially like a witch. Like everyone in the town thinks that she's a witch and that she has this young woman living with her that is eternal and not aging. And he goes there and then also discovers that uh, he might have a twin brother and, um, they are in love with each other. You just threw a lot at me. <laughs> but that's okay. I respect it. And I do want to see it. Because I'm looking at it. And it seems like this director has a, as a, is known for doing kind of like transgressive, kinky 
cinema, right? Yeah, so Bruce LaBruce is a uh, queer horror director. Well, queer, not horror. I love his name. I love their name, by the way. Yes. Bruce LaBruce. Incredible. So he... He's done a couple horror movies, uh, but like he—he's okay. um, an independent uh, queer director, avant-garde stuff. I haven't seen too many of his things. I think the only movie of his that I've seen is from 2008. It was called Auto or Up with Dead People, and I think it's okay. about like zombies fucking. Oh, it, his movies are it, it's it's it. He's aggressively. Uh, <laughs> the fuck was that? I don't know. Goes. <laughs> <laughs> He's aggressively like anti-establishment and he wants okay. he he makes queer films that aren't towing the more, you know, heteronormative line of like the kind of call me by your names or like the the sort of like sweeping romances that happen to be gay people. He like likes sad to... gay romances where people are like, oh, pining over each other and it's sad at the end and they're all <laughs> dead or broken up. Blah. He makes Sorry. Yes. He makes a lot of like confronting and like queer as in we are focusing on the very, very queer, the very anti-straight, the very anti-hetero establishment, the very anti-all of that kind of thing. That's the kind of films that he makes. And this movie, even though it is very transgressive in that it is about a man who falls in love with his brother, his twin brother, and there's like some aspects of it that's like takes place in the 70s and he like today takes a lot of selfies with a Polaroid. So there's like some stuff in there about like, you know, the, nar mm. the narcissist, the, the idea of like being obsessed with yourself and in this case, wanting to fuck yourself. <laughs> um, so there's like that aspect of it, but even though it is incredibly transgressive in that way and very like uncomfortable, it is probably his most accessible film that I've seen. It's gorgeously shot uh, there's a lot of like tinges of of 70s horror in it, and it, it definitely feels like it could be like a sister piece to let knife plus heart in terms of like the the kind of feel that I got from it, the sort of otherworldly aspects of it. Um, even though there's again, there's really not much horror in it, although there's a couple shots where it's like someone appears in frame and it's obviously being staged as a horror film. This is more of like a comedy, but it's it's a wild film. I I'm trying to like parse my thoughts because I'm I need to get my review done because it's opening up on the 17th. So by the time this episode okay. drops, it should be open. I'm not 100 percent sure again if this is just a theater only thing or if it's coming on VOD. It's it's a it's a was a really good movie. I really Sweet. liked it. Hell yeah, I love me some queer cinema that's transgressive and isn't just like you said like longing and like there's a place for those movies obviously, but like more queer but like people talking about it too like let's just like more of that and like more like more ish mainstream like queer cinema yeah i mean because like I, well and i'm thinking about like some of the movies that he has done he did one called uh Ger i don't know how to pronounce it gerontophilia which is about a young man who explores his sexual attraction to a much older man while working in a nursing home so like we're talking like these mm -hmm. stories that are outside of the norm and aggressively so so that's what you kind of can expect from from his filmography. But cool, yeah. So obviously won't be Sweet. for everyone, but um, I really, I really dug it, and that's what I like about yeah. his films. Okay, cool. Vampires in a Plane. I think I know which one this is. I watched Blood Red Sky. How is? I haven't seen it yet. So okay, I really liked it. It's really dumb. It's fun, but it's weirdly slow mm. for a movie about a vampire attacking <laughs> terrorists on a plane. <laughs> Right. 
Like it doesn't it doesn't need to be two hours long is Ooh. really what I'm trying to say. But I love the concept. Mm-hmm. Like so, basically, a what this woman has a secret disease it's like so obviously vampirism like she can't go out in the sun like she but she's like she's a she's the kind of vampire that's like scary nosferatu vampire like she's bald has like the pointy has pointy ears Mm. her teeth are like shark's teeth Mm. but she has ways of keeping herself human and to kind of satiate her bloodlust and kind of from tapping into her um like animalistic side and so she is going to the United States to get like some special kind of blood treatment to make her better. And she's on the plane with her son. It's just her and her son. And all of a sudden, there is like a takeover of the plane. There are terrorists who are hijacking the plane. And they, you know, the plot's kind of like a little bit convoluted about what they want. Mm-hmm. But basically, they want to tank the stock market. They want to like crash a plane and tank the stock market like it happened in 9-11. Oh, yeah. It's fucking weird. I was like, I, I fucking guessed. Um, <laughs> I love sure. that. I fucking guess. <laughs> I fucking guess. Like, you're not wrong, but it's weird in this movie. Like, that's your, like, wh- that's a, whatever. <laughs> so she essentially at one point is like, tr- her son is like, we can hide. And he like runs away. And she's like, no, like, don't run away. And then she gets shot. And then she gets, to, and then she gets back up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, bitch, she's a vampire. We already knew. <laughs> and, and like what ensues is her like it's the, how they use the plane is is pretty cool because it's a plane it's pretty confined space right. but the way they use like the the main cabin and then below um the, the cargo spot cargo space and bathrooms and stuff is really interesting she basically just like starts kicking ass but what's great about the movie is that like it's not just her kicking ass it's her like trying to figure out how like should she go full vampire mm. should she not I had a great – I think it's it's dumb, but it's fun. I think that there are some parts of it that could have easily been cut that didn't they didn't really need. But it's vampires in a plane. And the vampire design is cool as shit. Like, it's creepy, gross, animalistic vampires. And it goes some weird places. And it was, it's a really good, like, cre- weekend creature feature, bloody kind of bloody time. Okay. It's like a good saw, like, three-star movie. Like, okay. it was fun, goofy – had some flaws, but I really enjoyed watching it. I, I was okay. So you said goofy because I was I was curious because you also said it was a little kind of slow in spots. So I was like, is this giving me like snakes on a plane vibes or is this so like kind of yeah, but like not as goofy. Okay, it's more just like goofy in the overall concept of a vampire on a plane, <laughs> right? Right. And some of the characters are like very campy on purpose. Okay, I think sometimes it struggles with the tone it is trying to. to to kind of hit though because there are moments where there's flashbacks to kind of understand her story oh, and okay. how she contracted this and i honestly don't think they're necessary like perf- like i just think they add way too much runtime to the movie and i think that they're unnecessary and i think it's trying to make kind of a more thoughtful horror film when it's a fucking vampire <laughs> right. killing terrorists on an airplane i'm all for less exposition i'll be perfectly honest in movies honestly i don't need to know right like i just just tell me she's a weirdo vampire on a plane she's a vampire That's she needs I to need. get blood transfusion there's people on the plane like, let's go it. kill yeah that's all we need that's exactly it that's all we need and that's why like i it's slow because it's just like trying to be a little bit more human yeah but it was just unnecessary like they had her relationship with her son which was sweet that did i think the job that it needed to do mm-hmm. and i think they just overcompensated okay it was like they didn't want it to be silly. But <laughs> Come on. <there's, laughs> 
an inherently silly concept, and that's fine. There is a place for that. (laughs) Obviously, it's a good time. So it's on Netflix. I recommend it if you're looking for something fun to watch and you like vampire. It's a good vampire movie. Like, it's a good fucking weird, gross, unique vampire film. Fantastic. I, yeah. So now we're going to talk about the craziest movie we've seen in a long time. A movie that embraces the lunacy that it sounds like. Yes. The way that Blood Red Sky did not embrace its lunacy, James Wan's Malignant sure fucking did. So let's just say from like right now until I will put the timestamp in the notes spoilers i'm just gonna say it now like i want to chat so check the check the show notes about when the spoilers will end for you i don't want to spoil this movie for anyone who hasn't seen it yet i really don't so please if you haven't look down until and skip ahead to when we are done talking about this movie okay Okay. Okay, now we're trying to talk about All it. Right. So the best way, and I, I wrote this in my review, but like honestly, the best way that I can explain this movie to people is to visualize James Wan and his story creators, Akila or Kayla Cooper and Ingrid Bisu, just walking down the aisle of a Hollywood video, because that seems to be our video store of choice here on um, Scribe for Life, and just sort of like taking their arm and running it down the aisles of a horror movie and just putting it into a basket, checking out, and that becomes the movie that we're talking about. Because there are so many influences in this film from the last, gosh, 40 years maybe or more of cinema, probably 50 years of cinema, all combined into something that makes sense in the moment, but is the most absurd thing that I think I've ever seen in a studio picture. I I watched it. I watched a screener of this like in my apartment and I was in bed watching it and Steve had fallen asleep because he wasn't watching it with me. And I had to stop myself from going, <gasps> like, so many times. Girl, okay, again, we're talking spoilers. The moment the mother falls through the ceiling of her house i literally went what the fuck i was <laughs> i was like this is incredible i was like this is the best movie uh, i've ever seen when like that bitch falls through the sea like she saws herself she's like tied to the beam she's not even like tied up sitting down she's tied to the beams of the ceiling at a slope and she cuts herself down and she just fucking collapses and everyone's like but the cop is there like the cops are there and she's <laughs> I was gag gooped and spooked. Like I was like, I w- yeah, the fuck. So okay, this movie is incredible, and I know that there are haters. Oh. And you know what? If you don't like this movie, I get it. Like it's it's a lot. The I was I was not convinced at first. I will be completely honest. Like the beginning, I was like, this acting is fucking garbage. <laughs> like I was like, is this a joke? Like is someone fucking with me? And but it. it makes sense as the movie goes on like it it, it's the vibe but it feels weird at first like it feels very wooden and very much like huh Mm -hmm. like what is what am i watching because it's like a police procedural and a (laughs) drama and girl loses her husband her abusive husband and her baby in like the first like 10 minutes of this movie like also we're we're doing spoilers the fact that he her 
parasitic twin is awakened is because her abusive husband smashes her head against a wall and it awakens Gabriel, her fucking parasitic <laughs> twin in the back of her goddamn Girl. head, who does like it is the most ridiculous thing and i love this shit i'm like this is the shit i want like james wan said look at what i've done give me the credit card daddy and (laughs) daddy gave him the credit card and he fucking went for it and he did not pull any pun he did not hold back and i am so proud of him like who cares he doesn't give a shit that i'm proud of him but like (laughs) it is so cool to see the man who made saw come this far and make this movie like that's cool as shit that we get to see that you know what i mean yeah no it absolutely is really cool but like the moment the moment girl the moment that it comes out of her head gabriel comes out of the back of her head (laughs) i was like like, what because i mean i mean i've been texting because you had already seen it and i i i got the screener too and i wasn't harassing you i was like terry (laughs) please watch this movie i have to talk to somebody about it like i'm losing my mind i wasn't able to watch it when the screener came in so i watched it on friday along with everyone that was watching on hbo max or whatever and I so like I figured out some of the plot points. Like I was texting Mary Beth. I was like, okay, so Gabriel is obviously a malignant tumor or something that you know was blah 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 blah. And, my, and then later on, I was thinking, okay, so he's a, he's probably her twin that got like eaten in in utero or something like that. Like I'm thinking all of this stuff, but like I was not expecting Gabriel to actually be inside of her brain. And the moment that it emerges was like this moment that like everything just sort of clicked and I'm like oh we're doing basket case like this is basket case it's incredible but i also didn't know, realize it was going to be some creepy ass like monster on the back of her body no. that was like Rah! Like, I thought it was going to be some, like, little thing, but no, it was creepy shit. <laughs> it was. It was horrific. And the tagline of the movie is, it's time to cut out the cancer, which is said deadpan to camera, like, twice. <laughs> yes, it sure is. And I was like, okay, so he's, like, te- he- he's, like, telegraphing one thing. And you're like, okay, there's, like, something weird. Like, it- at the very beginning, it's like, there's something weird going on. Yeah. With, like... Malign- like malignant then term malignant like, why the, t- the movie is called malignant becomes very clear mm. at the beginning of the film someone talked about this on twitter and i wanted to talk i this was something i didn't even think about until like until i saw it because the, the whole movie is ridiculous the opening credits traditional creepy ass fucking early 2000 the oh, credit yeah. sequence that was one of the notes i took i was like first like, of all we get like the house like, on haunted hill vibe yes! i'm like okay this 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 house is obviously kitty corner to that house on haunted hill and then i was like but when she rolls up oh God, to the I fucking know. hospital in the oh, car, like- and it's like, <laughs> I was like, oh my fucking God, this is House on a Haunted And I am here for it because this is so – like when she when she pulled up and saw that castle, I was like, mm-hmm, this is incredible. Everything about this is so ridiculously it's crazy. It's so beautiful. It's like – you know, and as I was like r- trying to figure out my thoughts on the, on this movie, it obviously I, – I think The Malignant is in a way a celebration of James Wan's career because you have some of the the silliness and the bonkersness of like Dead Silence that he did, some of that kind of weird plotting and like the, the bizarre twist that happened in that movie. And you have like the costumes and the creepy killer vibes yeah. from Saw. You have like the go for broke kind of like – because it's it's almost like stages like a ghost story in the beginning and so you kind of like have that go for brokenness of like insidious Mm -hmm. but then you also have like the strength Mm -hmm. of like the the conjuring that he has you know created this career over the last 20 years and is like he knows his shit and that comes to bear in like the conjuring movies but then you also have like some set pieces that feel like they could be removed from the furious seven like you know it's like we're all of a sudden returning into this action of like cops being slaughtered by this 
it's just, it's wild. It is a wild celebration of everything that, that I think has built him up to this point. It's wild. It's incredible to see like him do all of that stuff and like do what he yeah. wants to do. And look, I know there's a lot of argument about Giallo. There, you can't deny the Giallo influences. Like Gabriel's whole ass outfit and whole thing involves the black gloves. And like, okay, whatever, say what you want about Giallo. But that to me mm-hmm. is a very big visual marker of Giallo. The hidden face, the all black, and the weapon. The, like there's so much concentration on Gabriel's weapon, which is <laughs> a trophy that one of the surgeons that performed on him won he kills the surgeon and then takes part of the trophy and turns it into this crazy ass knife which is cool as hell and there's a callback to insidious when gabriel is like sharpening it mm. and there's that kind of at the end with the demon with the demon mm-hmm. in insidious when he's sharpening his claws mm-hmm. there's a moment like that in malignant where he's sharpening the knife those those two moments like might not be huge giallo things but like juan has said it's giallo well, inspired and Look like, at it. I mean, yeah. plot perspective. Okay, we have a police procedural. That's in a lot of Giallo films, particularly of the mm-hmm. '70s, the ones that we went through. You have the supernatural elements that that Dario Argento would would pursue later on with like phenomena. Like, there's a lot of phenomena vibes in this movie for me, which again yeah. takes oh, oh, the yeah. supernatural and Giallo and smashes it together. You have um, a person who witnesses a crime but is unable to understand the significance of it, which is a huge plot point in a lot of Giallos, particularly Dario Argento's. I'm thinking like Tenebrae. I'm thinking. Uh, uh, deep red. I'm thinking all these things where you have a protagonist who is innocent but gets roped into something because they see something and they don't understand the significance. Again, here, literally, she's roped into it and she doesn't understand the significance that she is seeing herself killing these people because it's she's on the uh, the, the twins' back. Like these are all Giallo plot points. They are just warped up into this weird uh, amalgamation of of everything. This is a giallo film. I'm sorry. Every single plot point that hits in a giallo is hitting in here. Yes, it probably skews more toward the the later career of Dario Argento in like the 80s with Phenomena and whatnot. But this is a giallo film. I'm I'm gonna put my feet down yeah. on it. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. I saw that. I like, and it's not just the red. Everybody like, I know we're all like, oh, everyone thinks giallo is just the red. No, that is not what we're saying. There is the red, and it's mm-hmm. great. But like you explained, all that stuff, some of the visual aesthetics. And like you said, the person roped into it, but also she's trying – a lot of the other things in Giallo is that person trying to solve the mm-hmm. crime themselves, like without the cop mm-hmm. and being like, oh, I'm going to solve the, the case. And like her sister does that. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that in mm-hmm. here. So there's a lot of that DNA. But also like people say there's a lot of like early 2000s oh, like yeah. Dark Castle vibes in it too. And I love that because we don't like this is the kind of like this main this kind of mainstream bonkers ass movie is something we don't ever get. No. And like this feels like a very hopeful moment where we're gonna continue to hopefully get like this will hopefully show people that like there's an appetite for like people just going all out and not being afraid to just kind of fucking do what they want and hope for the best. Yeah, I hope so because I, you know, I mean, we've talked a couple times um, on this podcast and on, on like Twitter about like how I, we, we've seen so many movies that are the, the sort of slow burn and whatnot. And I'm ready for something that is wild and fun. And that's what this movie yep. delivered. It's just. It, it really fucking did. Bonkers. And like, they're definitely going to make a million of them. <laughs> <laughs> like a, probably like a million of these movies. 
But that's cool because Gabriel's fucking creepy as shit. Mm. Like the per the woman who did the movement for Gabriel, like the creepy spider walk, and like because Gabriel's in the back of the her head, so she has to like walk forward but also walk backward at the same Girl. time. And the movement is super uncanny and creepy. Fucking kudos to that marketing team for being like, here's a supernatural movie. Psych, bitch, it's a parasitic <laughs> twin movie. And you're just like respect. Uh, yeah. Respect. Please, well, hopefully you haven't listened to this and got things spoiled for you, but. We warned. Spoilers are over, everybody. Also, please watch this movie. Please, please watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Okay, to take like a very sharp turn. <laughs> um, Mary Beth, I wasn't prepared for how like depressing the Bay was on this rewatch, watching it in the year of our Lord 2021. Yeah. It's super nihilistic. It's really fucked. It made me really sad. I know. <laughs> like, I literally, all I remember about this was that it was found footage that is about the these, um, I don't remember what they're called, isopods? Is that what they are? Yeah, isopods. That um, burrow into people and eat out their tongue and then destroy them from the inside. And I, I just remember, like, specific sequences, and I completely forgot about the rest of it, but man... This movie is depressing. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Like, in, like, a mental, emotional way. Yeah. Like, I, I think this is an incredible movie. So, for those of you unfamiliar with The Bay, The Bay is a 2012 found footage movie directed by Barry Levinson. Like, pause um, of that. Hello. Which is weird. Yeah. What? Like, that's weird in its own right that Barry Levinson, who directed Rain Man, Good Morning Vietnam. Bugsy. <laughs> Sphere? <laughs> I mean, Sphere makes a little bit more sense. It's aquatic, yeah. right? But Wag the Dog, Sleepers, yeah. Toys, Bugsy, Rain Man, Young Sherlock Holmes, which I love, which I, I think that's great. But like the fact that he's coming out in 2012 it's, and making a found footage horror film, surprising. It's very surprising. So The Bay takes place in Maryland, um, on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is not – I don't live on the eastern shore. So I live – on the western shore, I guess, of Maryland. We're connected by this Bay Bridge across Chesapeake Bay. And the eastern shore of Maryland is known for being very agricultural, very rural. There's a lot of farmland. And there's a lot of towns on the water. And so this town, Claridge, is a a fictional town. But it looks like every, like, small eastern shore town that I know on the water has one main street. It's tiny. And it's surrounded by corn and, like, nothing. And everyone's in the water. Like, life is – water is life. Like, everyone has a boat. Everyone's out in the water, especially in the summer. It's it's how they make, like, money. So it's pretty true to life in that regard. But in this movie, there is a camera crew. And is she a student? Why am yeah, I Yeah, she's a student. Yeah. Like, an intern or she's like, – she's an intern or a student. And she is – it's like she is sharing the story that she captured at this event when these parasites – basically destroyed this town so she's narrating it so it's like i guess like a like mockumentary-esque style where she's kind of narrating over the found footage Mm -hmm. that was being kind of held by the government and she's like exposing the truth yeah like years later looking back and kind of explaining putting context to the things that we're seeing which by the way uh it was bothering me for like the first i don't know 10 minutes of the movie i was like her voice is so familiar, but I do not recognize her. That bitch is Kether Donahue, who is fr- who was in You're the Worst, which is one of the best like thirty minute comedies that I've I've seen, uh, television series. Oh. 
Uh, she is so fantastic in that. But like, I totally didn't recognize oh. her immediately in this. But her voice, she has a very distinctive um, voice. And I was like, why yeah. is she so familiar? She was also Alice in Pitch Perfect. The one of the in the oh, opening scene of Pitch yeah. Perfect, the okay. sort of like bitchy, I'm leaving. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. But like, I love her and she's so good in this. She's really great. And there's there's another storyline with Kristen Connolly, who is in Cabin in the Woods. She's yes. Dana, the final girl. She is a woman with her husband and daughter out oh. on the water and they have a video camera and she's filming. And that's really heartbreaking. That storylines are breaking so there's kind of two stories going on of these two women trying to get through the day and and i will say a lot of the the, the cause of the, the mutation of the isopods is because of chicken farming and that's a huge problem on the eastern shore there's a lot of chicken farming and when you drive through the eastern shore because that's how you get to the beaches it fucking stinks mm. of chicken shit everywhere like there's huge chicken farms so just to give some context that this this movie is really pulling from truth in terms of like environmental issues right especially where i'm from like levinson is making i think levinson is from the area and he's basically making like a, a an environmental like cautionary tale right like uh when i was doing a little bit of research he was hired he want they wanted him to produce a documentary about the problems facing chesapeake bay and mm -hmm. he kind of abandoned it because he saw that Frontline was already had already covered the same issue and he didn't want to repeat it. So he decided to take that research and turn it into a horror film that he thought would hopefully shed light on some of the issues fe uh, facing Chesapeake. And so um, when he was promoting the film, he was noted as saying like it was 80 percent factual information, like the stuff that was building on in, into the film. And so he wanted to kind of f film this as if like we're like in Pompeii watching the disaster happen. And he wanted to give that kind of immediacy to it. Yeah. He had a really cool quote in, from Yahoo for the very first time in history. You can get a picture of that town. If you collect all the footage from everyone's cell phones and their digital cameras and the Skypes and the texting and everything else, you know, it's, you know, it's from 2012 when he said Skype instead of zoom. <laughs> right. But he's, it's true. Like he takes that idea of a disaster happening and about what happens when you aggregate all that footage and, you get something really fucking harrowing mm -hmm. because like, this is about a, this is about a town that does not make it No, like this town does not make it. So like found footage is like, Oh, a couple teenagers fucking around in the woods. This is an entire, this is like the systematic fucking dismantle, like destruction of an entire town. And they they have no way to stop it. And it's fucking awful. It's sad. It's so sad. And it's gory. It's oh, really it's so gross. gross. It's so gross. And even though like this isn't about a virus, it is about these isopods. Like ultimately, uh, it definitely watching it um, in our sort of like COVID times definitely brought like a uh, <laughs> this. Unfortunately, is very sad reminder of where we're at right now because it definitely feels like that sort of misinformation, that sort of fear, that sort of untrust, the people doing things that aren't necessarily in the benefit for their people. Uh, Texas, like the, all of the stuff that is going on is like, you can see it playing out when you look out the window right now. And this was a movie about similar issues from 2012. And it just makes me realize how true sometimes movies, uh, thematic intents are. Well, it's sad to kind of realize that we've always been this mm -hmm. way and that it has taken a global pandemic for us to like really do some kind of self-reflection in a more, but not even self-reflection. Cause it's not going anywhere. No. There's no reflecting. Like, and here. that's what's, that's what's hard. 
It's like you're realizing it like, oh, we've been this way the whole time. Yeah. And like this made everyone else more aware of it, but we're not doing anything about it, which is even more fucked up. And it's a rough watch because there's like they don't kind of avoid the suffering people are going through while they're being Mm -hmm. eaten from the inside out. Like you see people like screaming in the streets, like pulling out their bodies and you see like that like the deconstruction of the human body and it oh the scenes where the 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 hospital uh the the workers are cutting off the limbs they're like amputating them and it's just like it's Mm -hmm. it's horrific but i'll be honest that the the moment that like hit me the most was the poor girl that was facetiming the entire time and then like she's discovered by the doctor dead like with her phone in her hand and it's just like this it's upsetting. This movie was so upsetting. I was not prepared for how upsetting this movie would be on a rewatch. No, I know. Because I just remember like the creepy things from when I first saw it. Well, yeah, exactly. And like it kind of, you know, I found footage that kind of slides under the radar and everyone's like, oh, gross, like creature feature. But it's like, no, actually, it's like a very emotionally intense film that uses gore to kind of punch you in the face and be like hey there are a lot of problems Mm -hmm. and like you need to pay attention to them but it's not told in like a didactic kind of like preachy Mm -hmm. way i think i think it's just very very like realistic is the wrong word but like it doesn't mince words basically like it's not here to kind of like placate the viewer Barry Levinson's like, you're going to fucking look at this. Right. And you're going to feel like shit. And you're going to think about it. Well, and like, this... You're going to watch this woman, watch her husband die oh. while she has her baby with her. And you want to like cry the whole time because it's fucking horrible because they're a happy couple. And he just went into the water and contracted it. Like, it's just. <gasps> and it does what, what I think really good found footage can do by like it made me forget that i was watching found footage like it made me think that yeah. at a couple points particularly in the beginning i was like i was enwrapped in, in, in this as if i was watching a real documentary like it pulls you in and does such a good job of of blurring that line between reality and um fantasy that i think good found footage movies can really do yeah. it also makes you shows you the government doesn't give two shits because there's footage of like doctors in the town talking to like cdc officials mm-hmm you realize how, like, these kinds of movies always make me think that, like, and the we talk, the crazies, too. Yeah. Like, ta- the, ta- these small towns are seen as so expendable. Mm-hmm. And it's a really weird question. Like, do you let this one town die so you can save everybody? Like, wh- it's such a weird ethical question that I will never want to be in a position <laughs> where I have to answer it. No. Like, absolutely fucking not. But it's fucking hard to think about, like, what what's right. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's a heavy thing to think about that this movie puts on you. It's like, is this the, like, what is the right thing to do? Right. And, you know, the right thing to do is like fucking fix all the horrific shit. But like when you can't, what happens and like what kind of decisions do you have to make and like what makes the most sense? And it's fuck. Oh, God. Anyway. It's very tragic. These movies just like get into my head, like in terms of that tragedy and like. I know this is not real, but like in my head, I'm like, how many towns has this happened to? Like, <laughs> right. Not the Bay specifically, but like, you know, that there have, like, like there have been all of these issues. Like, and something about Flint, Michigan, it's very different, mm-hmm. but like they are under, they are still experiencing a water crisis. Mm-hmm. And like that in itself is its own fucking horror movie. Mm-hmm. And like these towns are being left on their own to like grapple with these horrific circumstances. And they're just left out to dry. Yeah. 
basically. Like, these things are actually happening. Maybe not, like, mutated isopods, but, like... But, I mean, that's what horror does, though. It takes things to that extreme and uses supernatural or hypernatural or, you know, that kind of, like, hyper-real aspects of it to explore real-world fears and issues. And you can look outside your window today to see a representation of what is happening in this movie unfold in front of us in real time. And that's what a horror movie does. Yep. Let's go back to talking about Malignant. That made me I know. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but the bait, the bait is really, it's really well it's done. It's so well it's done. It's a really great combination of found footage. And also, I think, has a decent explanation, like, kind of how everything comes together. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little bit like, how the fuck did she get all access to all that footage? But, like, again, found footage, suspension of disbelief a little bit. Just, like, go with the flow. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's a fucking horror movie. None of it makes sense. Like, really? But, like, they do the work to give, to provide, like, a pretty logical frame narrative mm-hmm. here and, like, give a reason for having all of the footage they do. Because, like, while there's the narrative, like, the two main women, you do, like, get others, like, glimpses into the town. It is a- it's a collage of what would be happening with the citizens of a town like this. Mm-hmm. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's a nihilistic doozy. But it's doozy. worth watching. It's like it, and like it's obviously great for found footage people. But if you're not a found footage person, but you're still kind of open to like other, like potential found footage movies that could sway you, this would be mm-hmm. one of them to check out. I think. I agree for sure. It's lingered in my mind since 2012. Just like specific images. And it's body horror, oh, yeah. and a lot again, a lot of found footage is low budget and isn't body horror or gory. Like there's some of that stuff in Cloverfield, obviously, and like in Troll Hunter, mm-hmm. there's some of that stuff, but. This has got body horror in it. And, like, more realistic fucking awful body horror. So, like, you see people at the doctor. Like, it's, like, medical body Mm -hmm. horror, too. It's definitely a very unique type of found footage film that I think deserves to be talked about more. I see more people talking about it kind of recently, so it seems like it's kind of coming up again. But it definitely deserves to get more love. 100%. I agree. Well, uh... On that? Not fucking depressing us. Happy note. (laughs) Happy note. Um, we'll be back October fourth. Yeah. For our two year anniversary. anniversary. Keep an eye on I know, two year anniversary. I wish a hundred and two year like we're at the same time. Yeah. Like I know that timing doesn't work out, but it's so weird that it's like a hundred episodes and then two years, like not a month mm-hmm. later. But that just means more celebration. Yeah. So keep an eye out on our Twitter. Follow us on Twitter if you don't at Scarred Podcast to see any any and all updates about what that looks like. Um, if you have thoughts or feelings about Malignant that you want to chat about, let us know. You can email us at scarredforlifepodcast uh, at gmail.com um, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gaily Dreadful. And like I said, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, uh, you know, we've had 100 episodes. And if you've gotten any, and this is our 41st, 41st uh, Little Cuts episode. That's a weird, that's like a weird up thing. I know, I was like 41st. It's not like a real number. I was like like stumbling over it. This is our 41st Little Cuts episode. So that's hours of content. And if you like what we do, and you can't wait for us to come back on um, October 4th, please give us a review a rating and make sure you're subscribed because we need those downloads in the meantime <laughs> please please do and share us with your friends please do um so thank you Derek power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening to this episode and all previous episodes we appreciate you so much we wouldn't be where we are today without mm, you that's very um, true please stay safe everyone 
but also stay creepy. And until October 4th. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>